Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. If you're relaxed right now, then you're probably not Mike Trout. If you're getting ready for work right now, then you're probably not Doug Collins. You see what I did there? Because Mike Trout is the latest dude Tommy Pham is talking junk about. And when Tommy Pham talks junk, faces get smashed. Case in point, Pham said he sent a text to that now legendary fantasy football group chat that the next time he saw Jock Peterson, he would, quote, pimp slap, end of quote, him. And sure enough, what happened? He saw Jock Peterson in the outfield during warm-ups on Friday. And, quote, I said I didn't forget about that bleep, and I walked up to him, and I slapped him. Actually, Tommy, you walked up to him, and you, quote, pimp slapped him. So, again, why did he pimp slap him? Why did he pimp slap a guy in the head over fantasy football? I'll tell you why. Because he's Tommy Pham. And because Tommy Pham is a guy who once said, quote, I mean, what a quote this is, by the way. Quote, I don't do Muay Thai, Kung Fu, and box for no reason. End of quote. Like some people do Muay Thai and Kung Fu for fitness or maybe mindset. Tommy Pham does them to use them. No point in having a book if you're not going to read it. No point in having a car if you're not going to drive it. And no point in having hands if you're not going to throw them or give them. So Tommy Pham sending a group text that he's going to quote, pimp slap, quote, end of quote, is not a threat. It's a promise. It's a guarantee. When that message hits your phone, you can start the countdown clock because you know that pimp slap is coming. And he had a few more things he wanted to get off his chest yesterday, starting with Jock Peterson's portrayal of the entire thing. Quote, Jock gave out half the story. I don't like that. End of quote. For example, the gift count might have been a little higher. Quote, a few... There was more than one, and I got screenshots to prove it. He sent more than a few texts or jokes aimed at me or the Padres. That was only one. There were four or five, end quote. So apparently, Pham did not like that. He didn't like it at all. And normally in this spot, I would say that if you're a grown-ass man and you can't take a few mocking gifts about the fact that the Padres were sucking last year. In a league that reportedly also included Manny Machado and Eric Hosmer, then maybe this league is not for you. And then if that league reportedly has a 10-ger buy-in, 10 grand, not only a 10 grand buy-in, but an extra 10 grand penalty if you finish in last place and you're going to get that worked up, then maybe that league is not for you. But given how seriously Tommy takes his fantasy football buy-ins, his rules, and his gifts, I'm not going to say bleep. In fact, I'm adding mocking gifts 
in a fantasy football league as another one of our universal reasons to go if Tommy Pham is in that league. Which brings us to Mike Trout. This is where Mike Trout comes in and where Mike Trout probably should be nervous because according to Pham, quote, we had rules to the IR, you know. I know the ESPN app rules. We had our own individual rules, end quote. And then he took aim at Trout, who was the commissioner of the league. Now, I think he's kidding, but you never really know a Tommy Pham, right? And just to be on the safe side, assume he's not kidding. According to Pham, this is not all on Peterson. It's also on Trout. Quote, Trout did a terrible job, man. Trout's the worst commissioner in fantasy sports because he allowed a lot of bleep to go on and he could have solved it all. End of quote. Again, I'm reading the quote, so I'm not getting the context. I'm not getting, I'm not getting the whole vibe. I'm only seeing it on paper. He might be joking. He might be poking fun at Mike Trout. Then again, with T-Fam, you never know. With T-Fam, again, I'm not taking any chances. I'm just going to assume that it's not a joke. And if I'm M. Trout, I'm getting to the closest gym to learn Muay Thai. Or in the very le- least, if I'm Mike Trout and I hear that, I'm wearing a catcher's mask when out in public for the rest of the year, if not the rest of my life. And I'm definitely not taking it off when I'm in the state of Ohio. And I'm still traveling with a bunch of ice and ibuprofen on me at all times. Imagine him trying to go through, like, security. Uh, Sir, take off your belt. Sir, take off your jacket. Sir, take off your catcher's mask. Oh, hell no. Hell no. What if Tommy's at the gate? What if Tommy is over there putting his shoes on? Sir, take off your catcher's mask. No. Sounded like Fam might actually let Trout off the hook. And then I thought, who are we talking about here? I'm talking about Tommy Fam. My man's never, ever letting anybody off the hook. Ever. Quote, he said, nobody wanted to be commissioner. I didn't want to be the bleeping commissioner. I've got other bleep to do. He didn't want to do it. We put it on him. It was kind of our fault, too, because we made him commissioner. End of quote. So, again, I, I feel like he's just joking. I feel like he was not joking with Jock, but I feel like he's joking with Trout. But then again, do you really want to take that chance? Normally, I would say you've got nobody to blame but yourself. But since I would then be saying that fam is to blame, I'm not saying that. I'm just going to say, yes, being commissioner is brutal. Nobody wants that gig. And I understand why. Just as I see Tommy Pham's point of view. Because if Tommy Pham says it, it must be so. Let me repeat that. I see Pham's point of view. Because if Pham says it, it must be true. Why? Because Rome doesn't want to get his ass kicked. That's why. You see, there are two types of people in this world. People who want to be a fantasy commissioner... And those who don't. Let me put it to you another way. There are two types of people in this world. People who don't want to be fantasy commissioners and losers. Only a loser would want to be a fantasy commissioner. 
Either that or the greatest human being ever. And if you're in a league of guys who pimp slap each other over Jeff Wilson's roster status and a gif or two, then being commissioner of that league is the worst job in the world. Fam said, quote, that's something you really just put behind you. Everyone in that group chat, everybody knows. I've had some of those guys reach out to me. They already know what's up. End of quote. Yeah, I don't know, Tom. If I'm Mike Trout, that's not making me feel any better. Because Fam didn't put it behind him when it came to Peterson. And if he thought the commissioner was not enforcing the rules and was jacking with his money and his rep, I'm not so sure it's totally in the past. Does Tommy Pham strike you as a guy to let bygones be bygones? Especially when it comes to money and rep and code? There's a code to this. I think that I'm just going to risk my life right now, and I'm going to pose this question. But does my dude T Pham really look like a guy who's going to turn the page? Does he look like turn the page guy? No, he looks like turn your face inside out guy. He didn't play last night, but that was because of his calf. He says he's ready to play again. Quote, my body's good. I'm great. And he added one other detail. Quote, hand is good. (laughs) End of quote. The Angels are finally relevant Mike Trout finally has a look at playing in games that matter. There's no way he wants to jeopardize any of that. So if I'm Trouty, I'm sleeping in a goalie's mask just in case. I don't know, man. This whole thing, like 10K for last place? 10K for last place. Even for rich guys, that seems kind of steep. I mean, wouldn't that take a lot of fun out of the fantasy league? Why not just make the last place dude eat a jar of mayo? Wouldn't it be the same effect without being a reason to go? Or maybe have that guy be the so-called beer bitch on draft day. Or make him put the player stickers on the draft board. You know, like that draft board you all get from CBS Fantasy Football. Or maybe be the winner's butler or chauffeur for a week. Drive the kids to school, open all the doors, take out the trash, make the guy stay in a Waffle House for 24 hours. Or, or how about this? Or maybe get a tattoo on your left buttocks that says, bottoms of my fantasy league. I know Left and Laguna has got a guy who can hook you up. Brad, you can kiss my ass forever, you goofy, goofy bitch. Buttocks. Memo to people in leagues. Identify the Tommy fams in your league and either A, do not let them in your league or B, make two chat groups. One with fam, one without fam. Or C, if you cannot identify the fam in the league, then you are the fam in the league. My guy, do not come after me for pointing that out. I want to say every league's got one, but that's not even true. Because there's nobody like this dude. You don't want to mess with this dude. You saw Jock, man. 
He got pimp slapped and just kept moving, and it was the right move. Like, I don't want to be the final arbiter in the decorum of all fantasy football leagues, but your league's group chats are, in fact, fair game. Your decision-making and drafting will obviously be clowned. It always is. But there is another layer, another layer like your personal appearance being poked and prodded. And for longer-lasting leagues of even closer friends, things get even more personal. You know this, right? Wives might be brought into conversation. Children, even religion, your place of residency, your work. I mean, your mom. Your mom. It's all in good fun until lines get crossed and lines will get crossed. In my experience, the best way to fix that is a simple, personal, heartfelt message. But it's got to be legit. Something like, I don't know, my bad. I didn't know you were going through a divorce. When I said Agnes does not go to the gym for her hot yoga session, she comes to my futon? It was just a bad joke, bro. I had no idea. I didn't know you guys were going through stuff. I probably should not have renamed my team Agnes's sweat-soaked sheets. Dinner on me, bro. Dinner on me, bro. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My my bad. bad. I'm sorry. I didn't know about you and Agnes. My bad, my friend. I'm uh, my, sorry. my bad. My bad, brah. I'll rename the team. I'll get new sheets. My, my bad. bad. My friend. Or at least I'll wash them. I got a question for you. Why is Old Trapper beef jerky like the best thing ever? Well, there is something to be said for a family business, which stands by quality and produces the world's finest beef jerky. Do not be fooled by other brands. All beef jerky is not the same. Make sure you choose Old Trapper, where you can actually see the quality right through their iconic Clearview packages. Every single bite of Old Trapper is tender, never tough, because they only use the best ingredients. From their lean strips of beef, seasoned with top-quality spices to their real wood-fired smoke, Old Trapper delivers quality in every single bite and... Old Trapper Jerky comes in four mouth-watering flavors. Old Fashioned, which is classic beef jerky flavor. Tender, smoky, and delicious. You've got teriyaki with the yellow label, where Old Trapper turned the flavor down to 11. Hot and spicy, with a spice so nice you'll want to snack twice. Peppered, tender, seasoned beef covered in cracked pepper. And you can grab and go with a four-ounce bag or load up with an 18-ounce bag. That way you've got enough for the entire team or fam or both. If you don't see it, ask for Old Trapper by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what is your beef? Jalen Johnson is my guest. Jalen, good to have you back. How are you? I'm doing good, Jim. How you doing? Good, dude. Good. So before we get into the offseason, how is life for you overall? How are things? How are you living? <laughs> hey, I'm living great, man. Honestly, just blessed. I mean, just took a lot of time really to spend time with my family, spend time with my daughter. Um, definitely wanted to make that time up. I didn't get too much time with her during the season and things like that. So, I mean, just really taking advantage of time um, and then also just really trying to get my body right and get my mind right for this season. Uh, I thought it was going to be a real big season for me individually and then also um, a big season for us as the Chicago Bears and different things like that. We've had a lot of changes and things going on around the organization. So, I mean, just 
trying to prep myself mentally, um, physically, and emotionally really to really be able to go in into this big season. Gio, and that's exactly the kind of response I would expect from you. I and mean, that's great perspective. You know, from our conversations in the past and listening to you talk about the work you've put in in the offseason, it's very clear to me how much the craft, the craft itself means to you. I mean, you've got the athletic ability to play at a really high level without putting in all the time on the little details. Why is the craft itself so important to you? Oh, I'm sorry, you broke up a little bit. What did you say? Why is the craft, the actual craft itself, so important? Because I'm looking at you. You've got great athletic ability. Maybe you don't need to spend all that time on the little, little details, but it's all about the craft, right? Why is that so important? I think the craft really builds consistency. Um, I find that's what separates guys in, in this league, really, is to be able to play at a high level over a long period of time and be able to be consistent at it. I mean, like you said, everybody has, or most people have a lot of athleticism, and most people have God-given gifts, but if you don't work after, you're not going to be able to make plays consistently week in and week out, and especially against other guys that are working on their craft, you're going to be outmatched. Um, so, I mean, I never want to be in a position where I can't handle an opposing receiver, I can't handle an opponent, and I fight studying my craft and really trying to perfect my craft mentally and physically, I fight gives me the edge outside of my athletic ability. Jalen Johnson joining us. You talk about working on your mental game. When you work on your mental game, is that just a matter of knowing the scheme? Is that just getting your nose in the playbook? Or is there another way to build your mental game? How do you develop your mental game? I mean, really, for me, when I say that, I feel like I'm big on peace. Um, and I feel like if you're not at peace in life, I don't think that you can go out and play the game freely and play the game at your highest level because your brain is cloudy, your mind is cloudy, you're not thinking about what you're supposed to be thinking about. You're thinking about off-the-field things, or even if it is on-the-field related, your mind is not on the task at hand. So, I mean, really just going throughout life, trying to remain at peace, trying to keep the right things around me, keep my support system right, um, and then really just kind of eliminate all, all all the BS that goes on in the world and that goes on in, around my life. So, I mean, really just trying to keep the main thing the main thing, and then, of course, the film study, comes i mean that just comes really through time and knowing how to watch them and what works best for you um but i mean mainly just really trying to remain at peace and then just attacking things day by day preach i love that so much like the main thing is so hard as it is without being at peace if you're distracted and then you can't focus on the main thing and i'm not to get too far off track jalen but i find it fascinating like what are things that would take you out of your peace for example how do you lose your peace um honestly for me i found myself i want to say my rookie year really just worrying not even worrying about but kind of the outside noise started to become a thing for me and kind of just even getting caught up in my own head and starting to question I don't want to say my ability, but if I or really like who I am. So, I mean, really just trying to tune now and stay strong through it. I mean, and really understanding how this game goes as well. Because, I mean, as professional athletes, everything that we're doing is being monitored. Everything that we're doing is being critiqued. And I feel like you're seeing comments on your Instagram, on Twitter, what's going on around you, what your friends and family are saying. I feel like that could end up um, adding up on you. And then you just start second-guessing yourself and you just start falling um, victim to what they're what they're really saying, um, but I mean, for me, I really just feel like I got to understand the game and know that people are going to have something to say. And I mean, that's just who we are, really, as human beings. We're always going to have something to say about something or somebody. And I mean, that's okay. I feel like I have to really understand that and learn how to 
comply that, but also know who I am, um, really. And I mean, I have no, really no fear of anybody's criticism or anything like that. I mean, I mean, I fear, I fear God. I'm called the Most High God, so I don't really get too riled up in what people are saying. I mean, I'm not here to please anybody individually, just really trying to stay true to myself and be my best version of myself. I want to tell you something. I want to tell you how much I appreciate and respect that response. Jalen Johnson joining us. I really appreciate that response. So you put in the work right now, and you mentioned at the very top that it's an important year for you. It's an important year for the team. You've got a new GM. You've got a new coaching staff. What are your early impressions of Matt Eberflus and the type of defense that he wants to run? I mean, definitely hard nose, flying around to the ball, definitely a different culture um, that he's definitely implementing, really trying to drill into our heads, really, of how we want to play this style of football, really attacking, really playing hard, wrecking up the ball, trying to cause a lot of turnovers. And that's what the coach had did really good over these last couple of years, that the defense really turning that ball over. Um, so I definitely think and get that vibe that we're definitely going to be attacking and definitely going to the ball making a lot of making a lot of turnovers causing a lot He obviously when he was in Indianapolis, that was a major, major priority looking to turn guys over. Over the course of the offseason, the team did trade Khalil Mack, released Eddie Goldman, and then Akeem Hicks signed to Tampa Bay in the last twenty four hours. I mean, you know it's a business. You understand this, but at the same time, what's it been like to see all those guys move on? I mean, it's definitely weird for me, honestly, because, I mean, in college, you see guys really transfer, but you don't see the main core guys leaving. So, I mean, I came in with those guys, came in as a rookie, and those are my best, and building relationships with them, and then to leave the building and then come back to the building that next time, and nobody's there. Or not nobody's there, but those guys aren't there, and those older leaders that we had aren't, aren't there anymore. It's definitely a big is a big culture change um, as well. So, I mean, just definitely making an adjustment. I'm, I'm, it's easy to say you understand the business and guys come and go, but to actually really see it and live it and see how a guy like Killer Mack can be on one team and then on another team the next day. So, I mean, it's really it's really interesting to see. Um, but, I mean, at the end of the day, life is about adjustments, and it's no different really just being able to make the adjustments and picking up where we left off. Jalen Johnson is joining us. Now, when you first joined the team during this phase, or this phase of the offseason, I should say, you were running with the twos. What do I know? I'm on the outside looking in. It seemed kind of strange to me. Ibraflu said that people should not read into that too much. Did you yourself read anything into that? Did that bother you at all? Um, did it bother me? I'm not going to say it didn't bother me, but I mean, at the end of the day, it's not anything that, I'm going to give too much energy to. Um, I feel like it's one of those things where I know what I can do. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, they know what I can do as well. I don't think it's a matter of my ability. Um, I mean, they have their reasons for why they do what they do. I mean, they have the coaches that are running the team, so I mean, I'm not going to challenge that. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I know what I can do. Um, I know who I am right now. I know what I'm building to. Um, so, I mean, I'm really just keeping the main thing, the main thing, just trying to get better with the rest that I get, um, and then just moving forward from there. But, I mean, I don't see it as a problem. I'm betting on you, dude. I love your mindset. You know, I had NBA reporter Chris Haynes on the show yesterday. He's another Fresno guy. I know much how, how much it means to you to represent Fresno on the biggest stage. For those who've never been, how would you describe Fresno and the pride that the people have for that city? <laughs> It's really, honestly, it's hard to describe Fresno, but I feel like it's really like 
big on, I want to say, I don't want to say an underdog mentality, but just more so trying to prove prove ourselves. I feel like in everything we've done, I feel like we've always had great athletes, but I think that Fresno has always had its own anchor, um, its own anchor on it, kind of just always holding us back for whatever reason it was, off the field things or off the off the court things, whatever the sport may be. But I definitely think that there's a lot of talent in Fresno, and I think that Fresno gets a bad rap. And there have been some guys before that have not made the right decisions. So, I mean, I definitely can see where some of the stereotypes may be, but definitely just trying to change that narrative and get people a different light on the city of Fresno. I mean, we definitely have some ballers. We have some really good people and uh, things in our city. And, I mean, like I feel like any other city, there are the negative sides, there are the murders, the killings, and different things like that. But, I mean, it's really, I feel like it's one of those cities who deserves to have more light shined and, I mean, giving the kids in the community really hope on the more positive light and the positive side of things. So, I mean, that's why I get so riled up to support my city because I feel like we can be better, we can do more as a community and as a city. Um, and I feel like it starts with somebody like me leading by example and coming back and giving to the community to be able to change the culture. Jalen, I may have to come back with you, and I'll tell you why. I've got to own this, and I'm not – I, I don't talk about this, and it's not because I'm trying to hide it. It's because I don't know that much about it. I've got my father's side of the family. He passed away years ago, but they're from Boston. My mom's side of the family is from Fresno. I have Fresno family roots that I know almost nothing about because nobody lives there or has lived there or I've ever seen it. But there is family in my background in Fresno. So, dude, I may need to go back with you and represent. Hey, let's do it. I mean, I can take you to a few a few food spots. I mean, we can eat good, and then we can go out to the community, and we can do some things for sure. That's what I'm saying. I, In fact, I need to do that. I need to find out more about my own roots, where I'm from, what I'm about, because it, it, part of me, there's Fresno in me. It's buried within me. i got to find out what it is. So that's great. Yeah, we're going to have to bring that Fresno out to you. It, it'll do something to you for sure. Oh, dude, for sure. If it can give me what it's given you, I want that and I need that. He's a Bears cornerback. He's coming off a big year. He was a two-time first-teamer all-pack 12 player, 50th pick overall. He is the pride of Fresno. Jalen Johnson, my guest. Jalen, great to have you on, man. I appreciate you very much. And I think we need that trip to Central Cali. Be good, man. Take care. Yes, sir, Jim. Have a good one. Talk to you you too. too. I mean that. Trade pros. Whether you specialize in service or new construction, Ferguson knows firsthand how much work goes into a long day on the job, which is why we're committed to offering the products and solutions to get every job done right. With over a thousand locations, an unmatched selection of specialty products, tools, and supplies, our pro pickup and Samer next day delivery, you can trust that doing business with Ferguson will be the easiest part of your hard day's work. Visit ferguson.com to find a counter location near you. So the NHL playoffs had the spotlight auto itself last night, which is a good thing. The spotlight was on the NHL postseason, and it delivered because it always does. Can I interest you in a game that involves Connor McDavid and Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr? Then, can I interest you in game one of Edmonton, Colorado? The only thing better than a playoff game involving those three stars is a playoff game with those three stars and 14 goals. 14 freaking goals. Listen, I love 
a good defensive struggle in the NHL postseason. I do. I love a good 2-1 battle, a 3-2 game as much as the next guy. But sometimes you just want to let loose and see a hell of a lot of puck hit the back of the net. That happened last night in Denver. That game had everything. That game had everything. 14 goals. Four. Four goalies. 14 goals. Big-time controversy. 14 goals. A crazy comeback. Did I tell you? 14 goals. And a crowd that was freaking out, was delirious, and then freaking out because they were all nerved out. Oh, and did I mention 14 goals? Like, if you like a 3-2 to game, you got one in the first period. And then you got a separate 4-2 to game in the second period. And then you finished it off with a 2-1 game in the third. You got three games in one game. And it really did feel like that because it had all the adrenaline and juice of three games. Three playoff games crammed into 60 minutes. I just watched that game and I was exhausted. I felt like I skated every single shift of that game, and all I did was sit on my couch and watch it. And as much as everybody expected this series would be about Connor McDavid and Nate McKinnon, do not sleep on Kale McCarr. McCarr! Remember when Ken Danico was on the show, and he was talking about how special Kale McCarr is? Remember when he was talking about him and comparing him to Bobby Orr? And you heard that and you thought, yeah, it's a bit much. I mean, Bobby Orr? Yeah, well, you should have seen this guy last night if you didn't. There was this assist that started off this absurd sequence from Colorado, traveling nearly the length of the ice in a matter of moments. Here comes McKinnon moving in. He scores! Quick exit out of the zone. McCarr to Taves to McKinnon. Backhand, forehand, quick little shovel. And McKinnon softly puts it right between the legs. Good luck with that. Good luck stopping that. You can't fault Edmonton on that play. Nobody is stopping that. Anybody would have given up that goal. And then McCarr closed out the first period with this. Jones, remember we talked about a little bit earlier. to being offside. Determined that the play was onside. Therefore, we have a good ball. Superstar. Everything about that goal was clutch as hell. Edmonton had just tied the game seconds earlier. They were looking to go into intermission even. And then McCarr flipped that thing right on its head. Flipped it upside down. And yes, Edmonton honks. I know that you're bent about that call. And the fact that it was allowed to stand after the offside review. But come on. That was a hell of a goal. I know you don't want to hear about tag up offside. And the details about the ruling that there were other Colorado players who were deemed to have left the zone. But that's how that was ruled. That's what was ruled. And here's what I rule. That shot ruled. That play ruled. It was incredible. He picks up the puck in the neutral zone and buries it. With seconds left on the clock. It's not supposed to be that easy. Especially in the conference finals. And as a reminder. McCarr is 23. 
23 and already being compared to Bobby Orr because of things like that. A goal and an assist is a pretty damn good night. And then he came back in the second with an assist on JT Comfer's goal that made it 6-3. Comfer back out to the left point. Over to the right side, Devon Taves. Taves back across for a drive. They score. Comfer crossing in front. The shot from a car. It is now 6-3. Colorado and Miko Koskinen getting ready. Let's be real about that goal. That also was Makara's goal. Comfort just pretty much stole it because that was a rocket from Makar. And that's why he's getting the love from the vets that he gets. Everything that everybody has said about this guy and his ability and his makeup is accurate. He does not just live up to the hype. He exceeds it, and he's doing it on a massive stage. It's incredible. He is so good, you don't even need to know hockey. Like, if you've never watched hockey, you could turn that game on and know that this guy's a stud and a star. He literally jumps right off the screen. Every single time he's on the ice, you're drawn to this guy. He's that dominant. He's that exciting. He's that electric. He's that compelling. And given what he was doing and what Colorado was doing as a team, it would have been understandable if Edmondson just mailed it in and said, man, it's not our night. Let's live to fight another day. We're down 7-3 in the second. Now, we're not coming back from that. Long series, yo. It's going to be a long, long series. Man, let's take the brakes. Let's get our foot on the brakes. Take our foot off the gas. Let's save something. Let's live to fight another day and get ready to come back in game two. It would have been so understandable if they did that, but they didn't do that. And, of course, it was Connor McDavid who started the comeback. Dreisaitl shot. That was blocked in front. It stung Kale McCarr. Here comes Dreisaitl. Pulls the spring on McCarr. They score! Connor McDavid set up by Leon Dreisaitl. Stud. Freaking stud. 7-4 going to the break. Became 7-5 a few minutes into the third. And the next thing you know, it's 7-6 on a power play goal. Taps it back. 45 seconds remaining on the power play. Here's Dreisaitl across. Score! Nugent Hopkins! And the Oilers have pulled to within one with a power play goal. Hey, Avs fans, how many of you were halfway home when it was 7-3? You can't tell me you weren't freaking out at that point. 7-3, that game is over. Next thing you know, it's 7-6, and it happened fast. And Edmonton had all the momentum, and they were going hard. You can't tell me you weren't tripping at that point. But they couldn't finish it off, and instead Colorado got the empty netter to end it. Down to 30 seconds. Avalanche with a one-goal lead. And the orders again must reset. Puck picked off. Land is gone. Empty net. Score! TNT with the call. Man, that was such an amazing game. And if that's the start of what's to come, man, sign me the hell up. Sign me the hell up for seven of those. Hell, I needed to be hooked up to a home IV. And all I did was sit on the couch and watch that bleep. And this is why every single year at this time, I say the NHL playoffs are so much better than the NBA playoffs. And do you know why I say that every single year? Because they are. They are. They just are. And they prove it every other night. 
They are. And they're pulling away from the field once again. They're just better. I'm not saying the sport's bigger. I'm not even necessarily saying the sport's better. I'm just saying the NHL postseason is so much better than the NBA postseason. I'm saying the NHL postseason is better than pretty much any postseason. I put it right up there with the NFL, and it might be better. And the reason it might be better is because it goes on for a couple of months, and they go every other night, and they go so hard, and you've got so many games like that. You're not seeing teams getting blown out on the nightly like you are in the NBA. It's amazing. You ever think this? I'm not going very far. I'm in a rush. It's too uncomfortable. Sometimes I just forget. Hey, listen, don't kid yourself. There is no such thing as a good reason for not buckling up. If you have used any of these excuses or any others, you are putting yourself at risk of injury or death. In 2020, more than 10,800 people were unbuckled when they were killed in crashes. That's 28% of all people killed in motor vehicle crashes that year. No matter what kind of a car you drive, wearing your seatbelt is the best defense in a crash. Even when you sit in the back seat, you still need to buckle up. That goes for when you ride in taxis and you use ride-sharing services as well. Law enforcement are on the lookout and they're writing tickets, so why take the risk? Seatbelts save lives. So do the smart thing and buckle up every trip, day or night. Click it, don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Friend of the program, too. Andy Staples is my guest. Andy, good to have you back. How are you? I'm doing great, Jim. How are you? Good, dude, good. So the SEC spring meeting's taking place right now. Destin, you're there for it. Going into it, Andy, all the focus was on another round of Nick Saban v. Jimbo Fisher. So what kind of hopes did you have for the meetings when you arrived? Were you rooting for a Royal Rumble of some sort? And is there any chance we get anything like that? I wanted an octagon-shaped meeting room. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. Like, yeah. I wanted maybe maybe put it into a bracketed tournament between the coaches. Uh, which is a shame because Ed Orgeron's not here. I think he would have dominated that. Uh, but something like that. I mean, this is the entertainment business, so let's, let's do it up. But, no, it's been pretty calm. Uh, they, Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban had lunch uh, about 50 feet away a few minutes ago, and uh, there were no – and they didn't have lunch together. Uh, I don't think they're sitting at the same table in the cafeteria anymore. But, no, they were stuck in a, a room together all day yesterday. Uh, no fights broke out or anything like that. I think I think Nick Saban is actually trying to to say, "Hey, I messed up. I should not have mentioned you." And Jimbo's not having any of that. We're going to get him in about forty-five minutes, so we'll see if he's actually acknowledged him, talked to him uh, beyond uh, telling you know Brian Kelly from LSU, "Hey, could you tell Nick this?" I'm, I'm sure that's what's going on in there. I'm sure it's like you, you find another coach like Eli Drinkwitz from Missouri is is the conduit or something like that. Because I mean. It doesn't sound like Jimbo wants to talk to the guy. Man, it all sounds pretty lame to me in a way. I agree with you. I think that is what's going to happen. I liked your first take better. Like, what I want, I want to see Nick and Jimbo in the cage. If that were to go down, who wins and how? Like, is that a stand-up or a ground game? Who wins that fight and how? Well, I mean, it, it's two dudes from West Virginia, so it's basically bare-knuckle boxing. I mean, I think, they, <laughs> I think that's allowed. I think it's legal in West Virginia. Isn't that where they have all those fights? So yeah, they do. That's, that's what that is, is, is bare-knuckle boxing. Now, they're lucky that some of the more accomplished fighters in, in the college football world are not in the SEC. You know, Mario Cristobal from Miami, if he's in here, he just wipes the floor with everybody. Luke Fickle from Cincinnati, like high school wrestling champ, uh, Ohio State linebacker, like he would destroy everyone here. 
But it, it's interesting for as accomplished as they are in the football field, I, I'm not betting on any of them in a fight. Yeah, no, I don't think those guys want any of that smoke at all. Now, there is one pirate. You can only imagine what Mike Leach is capable of being a pirate. He's got kind of those pirate skills. Let me ask you this. What's your sense as to what Kirby Smart, for instance, and all the other coaches in the SEC think about this feud? Well, I think Kirby's sitting back there laughing because he just won the national title. He already did the same thing where, you know, He's the one who started getting number one recruiting classes a few years ago. And that's what Nick's mad about. You know, Texas A&M had the number one class this year. Alabama had number two. Well, the reason Georgia just won the national title is they started recruiting like that right after Kirby got there. And so they were building the best monster. And now Nick Saban's looking at it going, well, I got this guy who used to work for me, who's, who's built this, you know, absolute beast in Athens. And I got this other guy who used to work for me, who's built a beast in College Station. And I got to deal with him every year. And I don't think he likes that very much. Andy Stables joining us. I think that's actually exactly what it is. You mentioned Brian Kelly. So what's it like, Andy, to see Brian Kelly at SEC spring meetings? Does it feel like it fits now, or does it still take some getting used to? Oh, no, it's weird. It, it is. He's it's got to be, right? Hello. It's odd. And so yesterday, we're sitting there interviewing Brian Kelly, and Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC, comes up behind him and is, like, looking over his shoulder, and Kelly doesn't see him. And so Brett McMurphy, one of the other reporters, goes, hey, Brian, now that you're in a conference, you know, Notre Dame's an independent, no conference. So now that you're in a conference, isn't the worst thing dealing with the commissioner? And he starts to answer, and then some narc in our little group of reporters goes, oh, commissioner's right over your shoulder. I really wanted to hear the answer to that question. So my question is this, do we throw that person in jail for narking out Greg Sankey? Because... Brian Kelly probably would have said something with Greg Sankey over his shoulder that would have been, eh, I don't know, maybe not so complimentary. Who, who does that? What, what reporter blows that opportunity as a reporter for all the reporters? Who does that? I, I'm, I'm not asking you to narc out the narc, but who the hell does that? Oh, I don't need, if I knew who it was, I would name that person and, and post them their picture on the Internet. I, I want that person to be a pariah, but... I, I went or maybe the, it was a like mole. Recruiter. Maybe it was a mole for the commish and not a narc. Maybe. Yeah, maybe, but I, I want to go through it like it's a, it's a pruder and figure out who that was. That is lame. Andy Stables joining us. Listen, you got a really interesting piece up in The Athletic about how coaches are reacting to NIL. Billy Napier, for instance, new to Florida, sees it as a good thing. Eli Drinkwitz is not complaining about it either, but both are roughly 30 years younger than Nick Saban. So how much of this is about a generational divide between young coaches and older coaches? Oh, it's, it's the, the guys that are on the tail end of their career are looking at this like, this is a major change I have to deal with. You can pay the players now. This is completely different than what I'm used to. I've spent, you know, decades working in this other system. And I think it may hasten some of the older guys' moves out of the business. They just may be like, I don't want to deal with this. But if you have 25, 30 more years in your working life, you're looking at that going, well, I'm going to have to deal with whatever happens. So let's stop complaining and let's just figure out how to deal with it. And I think, you know, for Billy Napier, it's one of those deals where he's expected to win the national title. I mean, the last guy who had the job at Florida, Dan Mullen, has three great seasons and one bad one, and he's fired. So Napier knows he better get some dudes in there because he's got to play Georgia every year. He's expected to compete with Georgia. And so figure out how to work within this system because this gives you a chance 
to maybe get some players that you never got before. Right. Andy Staples joining us. Andy, I mentioned at the very top that the book that you and Trevor Moad wrote, Getting to Neutral, is dedicated to, quote, anybody climbing a mountain. As you wrote when you and Trevor were working on that book, he was climbing the steepest mountain imaginable. I can remember, and I'm very fond, was very fond of Trevor. I remember when he moved to Lake Arrowhead. It seemed like he was there to me because of the pandemic, but maybe mm-hmm. it wasn't that. What was the process like for you? Well, it was it was really interesting because Trevor, so that, that's our second book together, and Trevor was fighting cancer the entire time that, that we were writing it. And he didn't originally didn't want to write about the, the process of, of fighting cancer, and we kind of had to talk him into it because he was one of those people that, that didn't want anybody to know. And basically we said, you could help a lot of people by, by explaining how you, what you teach. Because Trevor was the, the mental conditioning coach for Russell Wilson, for all these different pro athletes and, and elite college teams. And so what he did was he used all that stuff he'd teach the athletes to help himself deal with chemo, with radiation, with surgeries. And the, the type of cancer he had, when, when most people get diagnosed with it, they don't last very long. And he made it two years. And it was pretty incredible. And he was fighting his ass off. And so I think it was just his way of, of finding a place where he could appreciate every moment of every day and just try to stay as neutral as he could because that's, that's what – he, has, he learned from all these elite athletes he worked with is the best performers, whether they're athletes, whether it's Jim Lovell trying to get Apollo 13 back home, they're neutral. They're not optimistic. They're not pessimistic. They just look at the facts. What do I need to do now? And it's a great way to live. I mean, I, I learned a lot writing those two books. And uh, if, if you guys want to pick them up, getting to neutral, it takes what it takes. This first one, they will help you. Oh, absolutely. He was such a good dude. He was a great dude. I would instant message or direct message him on occasion, or he would direct message me. I had no idea, Andy. Like, to your point, he didn't want anybody to know. And I've told the story a million times, but for instance, when my father was diagnosed with leukemia, he didn't want anybody to know. You know, everybody deals with it in the way they deal with it, but... Trevor would instant message me on occasion, not very often, but on occasion, if he saw something he wanted to respond to, I never knew. I mean, I remember when he yep. passed, I was absolutely in shock. Like, how many people really knew that he was ill? About seven. And he, he made sure he kept it that way. And it, it was interesting because he went through the – so he was diagnosed in, in 2019, and he was working with the Georgia football team. And this is pre-pandemic, so, you know, we can everybody can fly and do everything. He was, he was flying back and forth from California to Georgia to work with them. He was working with the L.A. Clippers. He was working with the New York Mets. All, and none of those people in those organizations, with the exception of Lawrence Frank at the Clippers, knew what was going on. And he, just, he, just, he went to work every day. That's, that's what he did. He's like, these people don't need to worry about me. I need to worry about them. It's absolutely incredible, honestly. So ultimately, remind folks, these books are available wherever books are sold, correct? Oh, yeah, on Amazon, bookstores. It's a, it's a HarperCollins publication, so they are everywhere. Andy, how did you and he first come together? What was that relationship like? How did that start? So it was 2011, and it was right before that big game between Alabama and LSU. And I was looking for anything to write about Alabama that we hadn't already written. It felt like we'd, we'd covered every angle of that story. And Nick Saban had mentioned to me at one point that they had three mental conditioning people that, that one was a psychiatrist from Michigan state. 
Uh, one was more of a, like a motivational leadership guy. And then there was Trevor, who, who came at it from a different perspective and worked with elite tennis players and elite soccer players and, and Russell Wilson. And so I, I said, okay, let's try to drill down on what these people do. Like, who are they? What do they do? Well, the, the other two didn't want to talk about it. But Trevor got permission to, to explain what he did. And he and I just hit it off as I was working on that story. And, you know, it was fascinating learning how all that process worked. And then I kind of got to watch how his teaching evolved. And, um, you know, Russell Wilson is, is probably the, the most important figure uh, among the athletes he worked with because Russell actually helped teach him a lot of the stuff that, that he wound up teaching. Because you kind of figure out, well, Russell does a lot of this stuff naturally. So you try to take what he does, bottle it up, so that you can help teach other athletes how to think like that. No doubt. He, Trevor was such a good dude. Such good dude. So you want to get that book, Getting to Neutral. Andy and Trevor wrote that. Andy Staples covers college football for The Athletic. Good friend of the program. Host of The Andy Staples Show, too. Andy, great to have you on. Thank you very much. Appreciate your thoughts on Trevor. Have a great week. We'll do it again soon. Thanks so much, Jim. Prices soaring at the pump. Discover's got your back with cash back. Use Discover to earn 5% cash back at gas stations and Target now through June on up to $1,500 in purchases when you activate. We know every dollar matters right now, but you can count on us. Get up to $75 cash back this quarter with Discover a card. Limitations to apply. Learn more at discover.com slash rewards. This guy's going to set the tone. Jimothy, my beef is with adults who jump into the pool plugging their nose. Aren't you embarrassed of yourself? You're in your mid-50s, bucko. I'm embarrassed for you. It's only water, dude. If you're bothered by a little bit of it going up your nose, deflate your floaties. Stay out of the pool and go get me a towel, you bag. Eric in Colorado Springs. I will say this. That's original. I've not heard that beef before. Yo, Rome, my beef is with Highway 46. That's the godforsaken road that brings in the dirt people from Fresno into the Central Coast, bundled with Shaw spitting, Marlboro sucking, 2 a.m. Walmart shopping, leather-skinned meth addicts. Thanks for leaving Pismo Beach. May you sizzle in that litter box called the Central Valley. Ron, now in the Bay Area. Mr. Rome, my beef is with the city of Beaver, Utah. Your lame ass, I love Beaver memorabilia, is about as clever as one of Geoff in Lincoln's tweets. Corey in St. Louis thinks your city is weird. War Paul's dog taking a dump on everyone's lawn in the smack off. Garrett in Utah. At Romy, you rock. My beef is with this new manager that has to have his weekly meetings on Wednesday mornings and that knob that keeps asking questions. Hey, kiss ass. The what's your beef segment is coming on. I want to hear it. War calling in sick the day of the smack off. Don't I? Rome Slice. 
I have beef with people that order spicy chicken wings when they go out to eat. It's bad enough I've got to watch these barbarians use 100 wet naps, lip their fi- lick their fingers clean, pick up their drink without using their fingers, and have sauce smeared all over their shirt and face. But now I have to watch them sweat profusely and constantly wipe their nose because of their ghost pepper sauce. Eat that crap at home. Geoff? It's pretty good, Geoff. Geoff and Lincoln. All right, Geoff, I'll give you that. Hey, Dan in the Bay, Romy. My beef is with people who say, you'll never guess who I ran into the other day. Or, you'll never guess what happened to me today. Then they wait a few seconds, expecting me to actually fire off a few guesses to their moronic and stupid question. DJ does that to me sometimes. You'll never believe who I saw today. Oh, I don't know, honey. There's like 8 billion people in the world. You're right. I will never guess because I'm not even going to try. Just tell me. Ed McChicken Man. It's not the actual chicken man. Not that guy. Hashtag, what's your beef? Rome, my beef is the what's for dinner conversation with the wife. If you were, quote, cool with, quote, whatever, we wouldn't still be talking about it. And by the end of the convo, there is no dinner decision made. And somehow we're fighting about my side of the family. (laughs) That's good. That's good, but not as good as this. This guy nails it. It's too long, but it's dead on. Hey, Jim. My beef is with the group of grown-ass men that decided to, quote, tailgate in the parking lot before going to see Top Gun, Maverick. It was bad enough that I had to listen to these drunk idiots cheer, clap, and laugh nonstop through the movie, but apparently their seats in the theater were some sort of flight simulator and them making jet noises and machine... (laughs) (laughs) Machine gun sounds turn them into the Top Gun pilots who just saved the free world, inspiring reenactments of the Mav and Goose high five, low five celebration every time they shot down the make believe enemy. D bags. Mike and La Quinta. That is awesome. I know because I went and saw the movie and had a similar experience with other old D bags. Then I saw one get on his wife like she was Kelly McGillis. Just kidding. Good job, Mike. Well done. Very well played. Hey, listen, I like the franchise. I saw the movie. I enjoyed the movie. I had a good experience. Some of these people were way over the top. He nailed it. Dear boss, my beef is with one Thomas Cruise. Guy makes a movie prominently featuring my noggin throughout, and I don't even make the credits. Signed, James, in L.A., Colorado, or wherever the hell that enormous dome is right about now. Look at this guy. My beef is with you, Jim. I have never seen anyone give so much credit to a guy that hits buttons on a keyboard for a living. His job could literally be done by a paraplegic. 
you go on and on about how Alvin Hawking is the GOAT? Who's the runner-up? The junior high kid with a fart noise machine? The week that was is nothing more than a glorified mixtape similar to the ones that I used to make for the honeys back in junior high. Stop giving this nincompoop so much effing credit for real. Dustin in Indy, dude, you are just trolling. You're a troll, dude. I know you don't mean any of that. And if for some reason you really do, look in the mirror, man. I am really sorry you see what you see. That nincompoop really is that good at what he does. You don't believe me? Wait until next week when Ritz sits down in that chair. Hey, Jim, my beef is with anyone who ever says, that really puts sports in perspective. Hey, Tool, did you need tragedy to remind you that the games rank near the bottom of the list of things that really actually matter? Check yourself. Larry in Albany. Squirrel 2. My beef is with the matronly woman in our clubhouse pool who is so addicted to food that she takes a large Ziploc bag of goldfish in the pool and eats as she wades through like Shamu. Bro, is that really true? Like, if you're making it up, that's not funny. If that actually happens, I'll allow that. My beef is with my coworkers who simultaneously complain about being broke, yet get fast food for lunch three to four days per week. I may not be the picture of health, but if your fast food order requires a Target-style shopping bag with handles, you need to examine your life choices. Stop spending 5 to $6 per day on fast food three to four days per week, and you will solve your health problems and your money problems. Thanks, Paul in Albany. War the return of Emilio Textavez. Emilio Textavez. Ritz like, yo, where can I get fast food for five bucks? Mm. What, what, where do you live? Where can, I, where can I get that? I love that. He's got a point. I don't even want to tell you what my Starbucks order costs me every single morning. You'd all want to fight me if you knew. Thomas writes, my beef is with Doc Rivers and Joe Girardi. These two hacks haven't won anything in over a decade. They were both carried by their talented rosters when they got their rings. Get out of my city. Signed, Philly fan. I love Philly fan. T-Rob underscore actor. Romy, my beef is with Paul's dog. I used to really dislike that mutt, but his last call won me over, and now I can't wait to hear his smack-off call. My beef is with Jim Rome. Look, you son of a bitch. Stop making a fool of yourself 
with this Paul's dog garbage. I will not sit quietly by and let you burn down 40 years of excellence with this moron's idiotic phone calls. Nobody wants to hear a 40-year-old bum in his grandma's basement doing a stupid Scooby-Doo impression. Chad in Orlando. Chad, dude, I so appreciate you being the gatekeeper of my brand. But it's my brand. And that Scooby-Doo wannabe makes me laugh. He's funny. He's clever. He's different. I disagree. Pimp in the box. My beef is with a local law firm whose name sets off a case of jungle Tourette's after each of the 100 or so advertisements to play on TV and radio each day. Screw you, Blackburn and Romy, attorneys at law. Josh in the fort. Man, they just keep coming today. Hey, Jim, my beef is with the technological color scheme in your back room. I watch your show on CBS Sports, and when the camera gradually scans across the back room, I see black phones, black computers, black monitors, and then one out of place, printer, scanner, copier, or whatever that thing is. Can we please get the back room in one uniform color? JT and Carlsbad. I mean, we could. But do you have any idea how hard it is to get those things replaced? To get it cleared, to get them replaced? Jimmers! I always know who sends me the one that says, Jimmers! I got beef with the plank whose pickup line was, my penis is bigger than your cell phone. I'm not impressed, guy. I have a droid mini. Signed, Abigail in Creep Diego. War, yes, this really happened. War lady clone. Unwar cranks in faces. (laughs) Abigail, you are something else, man. You are something else, Abby. I have a droid mini. Wow. Droid. Dear Jim, my beef is with any business that locks one half of their double glass doors but doesn't label which one is locked. Nothing like making a jackass out of myself by yanking on a locked door so hard that I fall on my ass as I'm leaving the bank or gas station. Stu in Manhattan. What's up, Stewie? I got a beef based on that. My beef is that nightclub in London that I went into that had a wall that was a mirror. That, that is like such a bad idea. Like, I mean, how, how are they even allowed to do that? That's a real thing. So you're really drunk and you're in a club and you're looking into a mirror. And what are you seeing? A reflection of the dance floor. You think you're walking into the dance floor. And you walk into a a mirror? Like, that's a real thing. Bruno in the Bay. Jim, hi. My beef is with single-ply toilet paper, of course. How many trees are we really saving? Are we sure it's easier on the sewer system? I still end up folding three times as much. And when undoubtedly it fails, I'm left with one in the stink anyways. War triple ply. Hey, Bruno, were you never, ever, ever bringing that up ever again? 
And Chalk, that's on you for letting that through. Or Rit. Or whichever one of you morons let that through. Romanesco, I have beef with resealable plastic bags. Hey, bag, the only way I'm resealing you is with a blowtorch. Stop making me feel inferior for being unable to line up your plastic grooves. You're a bag. Do better. Sincerely, Melissa in NoCal, War Lady Beavers. War Lady Clone. Melissa, I like that. I like that because I've experienced that. I'm with you. War Lady Clones. War Lady Clones. All right, so I always like the beef in response to the beef. My beef is with Mike in La Quinta. Mind your business how me and my old fake Navy buddies tailgate. And those were real sound effects we used in the theater. I liked it when you uh, old fake Navy guys switched, switched to guns, too. That was cool. I don't want to give up any more of the movie, but there was a switch to guns at one point. Oh, one more thing. Spoiler alert, Mav runs in the movie. Oh, sorry. Nah, you don't want to see it. Bella B, my beef is with that Dustin in indie butthole talking nonsense about Alvin DeLauro. He's a baby maker Dadonis and a genius on the soundboard. She is the queen of defense. Butthole, butthole, butthole. Let's go to the phones. We go to Orlando. Skip, you made it. Skip, what's your beef? Jimmo. Skip. My beef is with the dreaded high-five fist bump dilemma. You go in with the high-five, they're doing the fist bump. You change to a fist bump, they change to high-five. Now, we're old-school, Jimmo, so we're like high-five from back in the day, but I'm fine going to the fist bump, but we need to decide, fist bump or high-five. My man, I feel you, Skip. You're right. We got to be universal about that. There is too much sa- there's too much confusion, and it's always awkward. Let's go, awkward. Sacramento. Lee in Sacktown. Lee, what's your beef? Jim, Jumpman, Rome. What's going on? My beef is with Sacramento. We have the highest housing market, the worst basketball team, and the ugliest women. My man, Lee. Okay, first of all, you do not have the highest housing market. I'll leave it at that. 1-800-636-8686. Let's go to Bob in L.A. I know my man's got beef. Always. Whether there's a beef segment or not. Hey, Bob, what's your beef? Hey, Jimbo. How about the a-holes who order an aisle seat on a plane and they love to sleep? I was just on a five-hour flight, and this guy went to sleep before we got to 30,000 feet. I woke him up one time. I went to the bathroom. I came back within five minutes. He's still asleep. That happened four times during a five-hour flight. And you know what? This guy never got up once to go to the bathroom. So I'm saying all you people, clones out there, save the other people in the aisle Order a window seat and snore away peacefully. I'm still trying to get out of my seat. I am out. My man, Bob. He, he's like perpetually on beef. Bob never doesn't have beef. I like it. 1-800-636-8686. Look who's here. 
James, James in Portland. James, what's your beef? Jimmy, my man, and Alvy, happy reverse cowgirl day. Jim, my beef is with clones that do not like Paul's dog. If you don't want to give that dog an old trapper jerky treat, then you don't get the jungle. I would walk Paul's dog any day because not even Left or Shawnee have ever crapped so huge in Brad's lawn and ice cream. War, Rexra, Rexra, Rexra. I can't even say it without laughing, Jimmy. Come on! <laughs> James. <laughs> oh, it is a hump day. Pervin! Happy hump day! And Alvy! Happy reverse. Never mind. <laughs> Can we keep this thing going? Let's do it! Phones are still ringing. Let's go to Omaha. It's Wednesday. It's beef day. You knew she would show Kathleen in Omaha. Kathleen, what's your beef? Aaron has aggravated me by pairing up with snake oil sales conman Brady for that golf match. He should go find out who Johannes Eckerstrom is and pair up with him. He only played a snake oil sales conman in the Eagle has landed, and Johannes is the soap, sexiest of all time. The soak, sexiest of all time. Soak, sexiest of, yeah, soak. Kathleen, man, nobody like her. One of a kind. And still her record is intact. She has not yet addressed me directly on air. There is your beef segment, I think. No, no, I, I'm, I'm here for it. Is there more? Chalk, make a decision, EP. Let's go to Pomona. <laughs> Pomona here in SoCal. Lane, you did it. Lane, what's your beef? I've got a beef with the jungle caramel. Ever since you had Mr. Brandon Marsh on, the Angels have gone into the tank, and now they're going to lose the land that the stadium sits on. Fix it. Get Joe Madden on. Get Otani on. Anybody. I hear you, bro. Lane, I hear you. Hey, listen. It actually started before then. Sometimes it takes the karma or Jungle Caramel, a little time to kick in. It was before I put him on. I went to the game prior to that, and they lost that game, and they look like hell. Madden's not coming on. He, For some reason, he's not a Jungle guy, so he's not coming on. I will try to make that right. Believe, believe me. Believe me. I want them to be good. It's good for baseball. It's mandatory for baseball. It's good for this show. They're right up the street from me. I want them to be good. I'm with you. Let's go to Scabs. Johnny Scabs in the D. Johnny, what's your beef? Hey, Jimmy. My beef is with women who complain about how difficult childbirth is. Then you find out they hit a C-section and skip the hardest part. Late. Scabs. No. You don't like that color. I don't like that color. Not a very good color. I mean, it does go fast. Told you that story. Janet, when Janet gave birth to Jake, her labor was literally, literally almost 24 hours. It was horrific. It was horrific. Only to find out the baby was breech. And I'm like, oh, hell no. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? So I called... (laughs) Anyway, I'm, I'm trying to decide what to do, and I'm just like, ah, 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 ah,
cut her, Mick. And then 19 hours turned into five minutes, and bam, it was done. Gentlemen, don't look at it, whatever you do. They told me not to, and I'm like, hey, I'm not a good husband unless I look. No! Oh, my God, I can't unsee that. Why did I look at that? Don't look at it. Let's go to Cleveland. Paul. Paul, what's your beef? Well, my beef is with somebody telling me something that happened in a movie that's been out less than a week over a holiday weekend when I had plans, then I have to work, unlike most of the clones, and now when I finally get my tickets for tomorrow night, you've given me a spoiler. Thanks, Rome. I mean, I feel you, Paul. I understand that. I don't want to be that guy. But did I really spoil anything? I said the guy ran. I said Maverick ran. Oh, great, Rome. Great. Been looking forward to it all week long. And then they switched to guns. Is that really giving up the movie? Top Gun, bro, you got to chill out. I mean, this is, you're the guy, bro, that the other guy was making fun of. The drunk tailgating before the movie who's somehow had theater seats that were simulators. Bro, I didn't spoil anything, especially for you because you're a Top Gun bro. So you already know that those two things were going to happen. Oh, no, 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 Rome. Oh, great, Rome. Great. Rome, that's a reason to go. What, that I told you that Maverick ran? Maverick always runs in his movies. Has there ever been a movie that Maverick did not run in? Outside the franchise, Mav runs. He runs in Mission Impossible. He runs in Jack Reacher. Probably ran in Risky Business. Magnolia, what's it called? He, He runs in all his movies, man. What are you talking about? Oh, oh, and they switched to bullets. Oh, really? No way. Jerry Maguire, he ran his ass off in that movie. Come on, man. Don't act like I gave the movie up, bro. Come on, stop. And by the way, if you were any kind of Maverick fan, you would have already seen it. Don't tell me I ruined it for you. Wow. You know what got ruined? Our player profile segment, that's what got ruined. It got swallowed up by an amazing beef segment. I got to walk off on that by somebody saying I ruined the movie for you? Come on, I love, I love Top Gun and Top Gun Maverick. I wouldn't ruin that for anybody. That's right. That's right. Hey, man, don't. You want me to ruin it? I'll ruin it for you. You, th- you. you don't want me to ruin it for you, bro. I can ruin it for you. I've seen it, yo. You want me to ruin that movie for you? Turn your damn radio off. I'll ruin that movie for you. Come on, man. Come on, C-Town. We better get out. That was the longest beef segment ever. Good night now!